everyone. It's Judy Warner. Welcome back to the Ecosystem Podcast. Well, this is a very special week, and I am so excited to bring you five straight days of podcasts that I'm calling the DesignCon Tailgate Party. Basically, we're going to be pre-gaming with all the superstars from uh, DesignCon, the names that you know, the leading companies, the iconic speakers, and we're going to be talking about everything that's being presented and brought at DesignCon next week. I will also be there podcasting on the show floor. So if you're going, I hope you will stop by my booth 1108. And our sponsors have given us lots of great giveaways, including signed books by Steve Sandler, a Keysight backpack, a handheld Siglent, oscilloscope. So please be sure and see me. Today on day one, I bring you three superstars of DesignCon. Steve Sandler of PicoTest, Heidi Barnes of Keysight, and Ben Dannon of Signal Edge Solutions. We're going to talk about VRM modeling for power integrity engineers that is accurate, easy to do, and blazingly fast. I think you're really going to enjoy this, and I will put the links below for their paper, and I hope you can attend in person. Now let's jump right into this conversation with Steve Sandler, Heidi Barnes, and Ben Dannon. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining the podcast today. Steve, let's start with you. Will you please introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit about you and the organization that you're with? Sure. So I'm Steve Sandler. In case the white beard didn't give it away, I'm old. I've been at this uh, game a very long time. So I've been involved in power electronics since the 1970s. First project I got to work on was the space shuttle. So I've been in the space business for most of my career, and now I am the founder and CEO of PicoTest, the company that makes test equipment. Ben, how about you? Hi, I'm Ben Dannon. I am a technical fellow at an aerospace defense contractor, and I have my own uh, consulting company, Signal and Solutions. I focus on system-level power and, and signal integrity. I work on next-generation ASICs, high-end FPGAs, and I model those end-to-end. Heidi? Uh Yes, uh, great to be here, and thank you, Judy, for letting us have this opportunity to talk about power integrity. Uh, my name's Heidi Barnes, and I am the Keysight Power Integrity product owner for our simulation software. And I have a long history in signal integrity, but uh, since I met Steve Sandler, I've been fascinated by power integrity, and that's my main focus these days. Uh, doing a lot of collaboration with Steve and and learning at the same time from his uh, years of expertise in the power electronics and power integrity industry. Well, I think we all have that in common. We meet Steve and we go down some crazy path together. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, the reason I brought you all together here is because you're doing a really interesting talk together along those lines. Um, And so I wanted to give our listeners a little preview into that. And the way I first met um, Steve and Heidi was going to a boot camp at DesignCon, which was very, very popular. So Steve, Heidi, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your boot camp and sort of how you came together in that way around power integrity. And then we'll, then we'll weave uh, Ben's story into into today's episode. why Why don't you start off? I, you know, I still remember that Steve had this this square printed circuit board. He stuck a connector on it, and it had a power, you know, basically a, a plane of copper on one side and a plane of copper on the other side. So one was he is the like the signal power plane, and then the other one was the ground plane. 
and he put a connector on it, plugged it into a network analyzer, and then challenged the EDA simulation companies to, you know, simulate what the impedance was. That's right. It should be a simple simulation. And he was frustrated because it was, it turned out to be not so simple. And um, uh, so that was where our collaboration started. I was able to get that into our ADS simulator and uh, get some really good results on impedance. And that then, and, you know, we met it, met through DesignCon Technical uh, Program Committee and that just snowballed. We started, he was very excited about using ADS and all the things that we could do, both from sort of a spice level uh, transient AC simulation world, all the way to the EM uh, 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 sort of digital twin type of EM models of the printed circuit board and get those very small uh, parasitics. So, uh, and, and then, you know, obviously the best way to train uh, the, the community out there is to have boot camps. And I think one of the biggest challenges we've had with power electronics and power integrity is the um, everybody thinks power delivery is, e is easy. It's DC. It's low frequency. And they want to just leverage from a vendor. You know, the vendor says the power supply puts out one volt. Good. We'll just stuff it on our board. And it's not easy. Um, power delivery is AC, not DC. And so we're having to really educate the community on the need for simulation to understand those parasitics and how it impacts your design and that you shouldn't just leverage things. You should actually be a, a, a power integrity engineer or a power electronics engineer and design things uh, and use the simulation tools to really, um, you know, uh, engineer the, the power delivery from the, the voltage regulator all the way out to the load. And right. Steve, I, you can add to the, to the comments there. No, I, I think that was a really great summary, and, and it's been a lot of fun for, right from the time Heidi and I met. And it, it's true. We did this little double-sided board, and it was fascinating to me that only two simulators got the right answer, and ADS was one of them. And I was already invested in ADS. I decided I was going to learn RF and microwave, and so, so I had a copy of ADS, and I was learning it. I was even writing a book on RF for power engineers that I never finished. But we kicked off this boot camp. I think the first year we did it was in 2016. And we had no idea how many people were going to show up for it. And we were in the room. It was upstairs at DesignCon. And we looked out the door. And there was a line <laughs> of people that didn't register for it, but they wanted to try to get in. And we were like, holy cow, we might be onto something here. And <laughs> so we, we've, been, we've been doing it ever since. Well, I remember popping into your class a couple of times. And it it's literally standing room only. It's, it's, it's every, every engineer's got their laptop open and you guys go deep in the weeds. And so you could tell everybody was just eating it up. So I always knew it was one of the most popular, mm -hmm. you know, which is how I sort of ended up reaching out to Steve and then Steve introduced me to Heidi. So that's how we brought, we were brought together. And then Ben, you know, we worked together uh, briefly uh, through Altium and then got to know him. And then he was writing papers at DesignCon. So I was kind of supporting his journey. And then he was learning ADS. So this is how we all found ourselves together. And now, Ben, you are part of a new boot camp. So why don't you tell us about the title of your talk? And it sounds like you were actually the one that was kind of poking around and pulled these two into uh, doing sort of a 
a fresh spin or on a topic around power for this year's Design Con? Yeah, sure. So I'm doing a boot camp uh, called Memory Design Fundamentals for Next Generation Memory Systems. It's with a bunch of great colleagues, Randy White, Saeed Shaban, Herman Ruckerbauer, and Hisu Lee. Um, but how this whole thing started with Heidi and Steve, we've been writing and publishing together now for a little over almost two years, done some media icons together and had a lot of fun. And um, I'm just grateful to get to work with them and collaborate, uh, like Heidi said, right? So I just love working with these guys and it's it's so much fun to work with Heidi and Steve and grow and learn and share knowledge, right? Because at the end of the day, that's what DesignCon is all about. Yeah. And so yeah. this really came about because where I work and what I do from a modeling perspective, we need to know what the voltage is going to look like at the dive bomb. So we include the substrate or the MCM package, whatever terminology you use, the board and everything to the VRM. And so that means we need to have a good or a, a strong VRM model to ensure we have the right answer. And so out of need, I had to teach myself and work with Steve and Heidi to learn how to build what we call Steve's model, right? We call it the Sandler State Space Average Model because this is really Steve's legacy. And it's in his book, Power Integrity ADS, which is a great book. However, there are some things that aren't in there. And so you, Steve is so brilliant and there are steps that we find sometimes get skipped, right? So you have to connect the dots. And so, um, <laughs> and so I, I had to kind of pull it out of Steve in pieces or just kind of grind on the old uh, grinder stone there to figure it out. Um, and so no, that's, that was... well put. that's well put. I, I, I left a couple of fragments. Out. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, so the whole process came up for me learning. And well, I, I created the model and uh, was working with Steve to share it. And we wanted to correlate it. And where this whole thing kind of came about was uh, – I showed the results to Steve and Heidi and Heidi said, this would be a great paper. And mm. when we, when I pulled in the board effects, cause the measurement simulation or the measurement didn't match simulation. And so the first thing I did was I pulled a, uh, the board effects from TI, Texas Instruments. And that's our fourth author, right? Christian Yachts. And so I asked Christian, I said, Hey Christian, can you give us the board effects? So we worked with him and that's why we brought him on the paper. So we can all kind of collaborate together. And as soon as you pulled in the board effects, and extracted that and had it the state space model, boom, there was the answer. It matched verbatim the simulation. And that's really how this whole thing came about. Yeah. And, sure. and that's where you get insights. That's where you, the engineering insights really come from because now you can really understand what's controlling the performance. So it's really fun yeah. to watch Ben go through that uh, whole process there and, and the, the great results that he got. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So, um, Ben, you mentioned Sandler's legacy with the state space average model. Steve, why don't you give us, like, tell us, tell us what that is and how that came about and then tie it into how this ended up being part of this so, paper. So this model is, is really old. I wrote it in the 1980s. And, you know, we were doing simulation in the 1980s, but it wasn't very good. And I was looking for models and I couldn't find one that actually did all of the things I needed. Specifically, I needed one that could do different modes like discontinuous mode and continuous mode. And so I wrote my own and I published a book about it in 19, I think it was 1995, I published this book and it became really popular. It even translated it into Chinese and, uh, and it's been really popular. And I think it was around 2006 or seven 
national semiconductor called me and they said, we have this crazy idea. We want to run simulation over the internet yeah. um, and we can't get it to seem to run fast. And of course we didn't have gigabit internet either. Right. right? I mean, this was, it wasn't quite dial up, but it wasn't fast internet. Right. And so they said, we need simulators that'll run really fast over the internet. You know, what could you do? And so I came up with this idea that would use the state space average model I wrote in the nineties. That's really fast. And we would use that to figure out what the switches would be doing. And so the switches just copied what the state-based model would do. And that way we didn't have to calculate all these node steps and all these step points. You know, it could just turn switches on and off when the average model told it to. And that worked pretty well. We wrote a paper about that with National Semiconductor, I think in 2008. Um, and then I think it was around 2015, I said, you know, if I could manage to get this to run in harmonic balance, in ADS, that would be like amazing um, because then it would be naturally Fourier based and we could do, you know, spectral plots and ripple and time domain reconstructions and everything. And it would be even faster than what we did for national semiconductor. It was, it was more than 10 times faster. Mm. And so, you know, Ben said that, you know, he likes working with us because we learned from, we said he likes working, you know, with smart people. And one of the things I learned is we're all smart. I mean, we all know different things, but we're all smart at what we know. Right. And so when we get to work together, um, you know, it's just so synergistic. Everybody brings something to the party. And so I showed Heidi this harmonic balance thing. And, of course, she came back and said, oh, you mean like this, right? And she <laughs> cranked it up like 10 notches. And that's how PicoTest works, too. You know, we have our manufacturing partner in Taiwan. And I draw a little schematic. I make a prototype. I send it to them. I said, I need you to make that. And they send something back, kicked up 10 notches. And they said, you mean like this, right? <laughs> of course. Yes, exactly. Just yes. like that. And so I think that, you know, what we're doing here is we're all having fun. Um, and we're learning from each other and we're learning about sensitivities to the different problems that we have. And Ben is right. You know, one of the things that that I get from working with other people is that we do have all these little gaps and things that we share. And, and I think it's partly because we didn't think we needed to share that. Everybody knows that. Right. Right. Um, and so that's just like this minor detail. But no, not everybody knows that. And so when you get to work with other people. And then it's like, yeah, Ben pulled those fragments out. You know, we got through the process end to end. And now, you know, Ben has perfected the use of, of this model. And it's just, it's, it's interesting to me to see that, you know, 32 years later, it's still a good model. It's still a valuable model. And it does so much more than I ever intended. And I think about Dr. Nagel, you know, when he wrote Spice. And I mean, if he could see what Spice is today, he would be absolutely shocked because this isn't what he, this is what he thought, right? Right. Um, and so, how did it become that? And so, I think that's kind of where we are. And I'm just, I'm having so much fun watching what it is that you know a program like ADS brings to it, where all of a sudden we can simulate EMI in real time. It's like, wow, holy cow! Um, and at the same time, it also puts a lot of pressure on young engineers because now they have these new tools and they can do even more than they could before but they didn't get more hours in the day. So, so one of the things that we're constantly working through is where do we focus our time? What do I really need to know? And I think that's why people like our boot camps and stuff. You I know, there's so. a shortage of that, that core information. And, you know, the, the questions I get all the time are, what do I really need to know? I know that there's a lot of details, but what do I need to know? And that's what they want to know. Well, 
Um, I was speaking with uh, Matt Burns from Samtech, and we were talking about, if you can believe it, 224 gigabit per second flyover mm. cables. And I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. I, yeah. What happened? Like, just not long before COVID, we were like, maybe we could hit 112. And I'm like, how did that happen? And we had an interesting discussion that you're making, actually all of you, in a different way, and that is the speeds and the performance – you know, our time is more constrained and we all have these little pieces, which is why I sort of the problems I could see engineers having is there needs to be an ecosystem. Like it takes an For ecosystem sure. of knowledge, people, disciplines, all coming together to to figure this stuff out. And so I love that you guys are just like a little ecosystem of, you know, TI, Keysight, yeah. you know, power integrity expert, you know, right. prime, you know, high-end engineering. And so it's great that coming together, you've been able to sort of, you know, tell this technology story and then put that in the hands of engineer. And, you know, what perfect place besides uh, Design Con, right? Which yeah, is really yeah. what it's all about. So you guys have taught me a little bit about models and you've mentioned RL, RLL, VRM, like, what's the difference? So you're talking about VRM. What's the difference? Ben, you want to unpack that? Who wants to unpack that? Sure. I mean, that's the whole premise of our paper, right? And so the whole idea is we take Steve's model and we show uh, why you care about, first off, using a state-space average model versus a SPICE model. And the second part that we talk about is why you want the board effects. And we show correlation to measurement and using the Sandler state space average model with the board effects are not only is our ripple dead on, but even the ringing in the ripple to the simulation is dead on. And we go a step further and we show with a step response where we create a fitted spice model and do a step response to that versus the state space average VRM model, what you're losing. Right. Mm -hmm. And we show that with and without the board effects and look at that from a spectrum perspective. And that's really the meat and the value of the paper. The really two mm -hmm. key takeaways that every engineer should walk away with is that if you're doing power integrity modeling, right, the, 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 the VRM doesn't stop at the VRM. Right. That's the gap and in delineation in the industry with power mm -hmm. electronics and power integrity. Today. Power electronics engineers will design a VRM and say they're done, but they don't include the board effects. And so. Yeah. The other side of that coin is on the power integrity side, which is a, a battle that Steve's been fighting for a while with Heidi, is that you have the SPICE model. And so you don't get all those noise sources. And I'll let Steve talk about that. And and so we want to include the board effects and you want to use a state-based average model. And that's how you get the right answer. And that's the two key, key takeaways you want to have in this paper. Yeah. Okay. So, so our focus, you know, has always been on why it is that it's so important to consider end-to-end simulation you yeah. know when i first started this business my boss said nobody's ever going to think your power supply is sexy you're never going to get any credit for doing anything your whole job <laughs> is to make the load look good and you know today i dare say 45 years later um you know it's a little bit different you talked about 224g and yeah we did get there but getting there, they also realized that the power supply matters. And so in the, in the QSFP specification, you'll see they have power supply noise requirements. And everybody's sitting there looking at each other saying, we know how to make a 224G transceiver, but we don't know nothing about 
powers. They wrote this spec about how they would test to make sure that they had power supply robustness, except they wrote a spec that nobody could meet. And so finally, that ended up on my desk, and I said, could you build a modulator that could test a 224G transceiver? And so you'll see we actually have a tutorial about that at DesignCon. But but everybody is learning that, hey, we can't just ignore the other guys. You know, we're all on the same board, and we're all talking to each other. And so whether you're a high-speed guy or an optical guy or an RF guy or a microwave guy or a power mm-hmm. supply guy, we're all on the same board. And like it or not, we're all talking to each other. And so it just doesn't make any sense that you would do a simulation that ignored everybody else. And that's what happens when you look at the RL or RL models is that you've ignored the fact that everybody else exists. The frustration has always been that the people that design the power supplies, they, the actual power electronics guys, they seem to be allergic to power integrity. They, they don't really understand it. They don't really want to understand it. And so, like you said, what a perfect place at DesignCon. But power electronics people aren't there. Power electronics people mm. are at APEC. And so this year, for the first time, the three of us are going to get to promote power integrity as a, as a, a, tu- mm. a tutorial at mm. APEC where we get to talk to power electronics engineers and mm. kind of try to bridge that gap. But if you go on any one of the forums from any one of the semiconductors and look up you know, the models that are coming from the vendors, every one of them says your simulation's not right. You know, your models are terrible. The results don't correlate. And it's like nobody understands or nobody cares or something, but the right answer matters. And so that's what we're talking about at DesignCon, why it is that this model is is important and what it is that it does. But also, hopefully, we're telling them that it's not hard and it's not a lot of work. We made this really easy. All you need to do is plug in a couple of numbers in my template and you'll get the right answer. We minimized the work. And so hopefully we get that across, too. I imagine when I listen to you. I would have to say, too, you know, we're engineers. Is that it, it, it's interesting to me that how many electronic engineers don't want to deal with a control loop. <laughs> and yet we all had that in college, you know, control loop right. theory and stuff. And yet here is, is a very simple control loop. And um, state space modeling is nothing new. It's, it's a, you know, very old technique. And so, you know, Steve has shown us that here's a fairly simple state space model of a control loop to model those two different states, which, you know, state one and state two of the switching for the uh, switch mode power supply, your, your uh, switching uh, pulse width modulation. And yet it's interesting how many people, you know, don't want to have to learn about how the, how the control loop works. They want to just put an RL model in there. And so right. I think, you know, people shouldn't be as, uh, afraid of it. I think they should take a look and realize how simple it really is to have this state space model that provides your control loop feedback so that you can really look at what is the bandwidth of your power supply. And and Steve was mentioning the power electronics engineers don't want to know about power integrity. Well, it's it's fascinating working um, with Jack Carroll of Xilinx with some of our previous papers. We finally came up with a, 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 a graph that shows going from low frequency to high frequency that at very low frequency, the VRM is delivering power. Well, your VRM vendors, that's all they want to talk about is that lower frequency mm. range. But my device is running at gigahertz. Yeah. <laughs> and, right. you know, how do I get 
you know, power to the gigahertz switching device. Well, the VRM can only go so far. And then there's a center uh, mid-band frequencies where the printed circuit board decoupling capacitors are actually the power supply, the charge delivery. And then mm -hmm. if you go up high enough in frequency, the third range, um, the power, the printed circuit board decoupling capacitors can't get charge or current into the package fast enough. There's too much inductance there. And, mm -hmm. and at DesignCon, there's the, the, they call it the Bandini Mountain of inductance because there's only so many power and ground pins. And so there's an inductance there that prevents, yeah. you know, uh, deliver, getting power in at higher frequencies. Well, then it becomes the package and die capacitance to deliver that gigahertz switching uh, current. And you really have to look at that whole ecosystem. How do you transition from the VRM to the printed circuit board decoupling to the package die capacitance without having resonances? And and yeah. and um, I guess I, I Steve loves my turn of sloshing of current <laughs> back and forth <laughs> between inductances and capacitance and creating resonances. Yeah. So in 2018, you know, um, Heidi and I added Jack Carroll to our boot camp. And it was fascinating because Jack is another brilliant guy, right, from Xilinx. And, and certainly he knows FPGAs better than anybody on the planet, for sure the Xilinx FPGAs. And yet it ran into this problem that turned out to be a simple power supply problem. And so here, you know, he had this great 56 gigabit board and it was working great so long as he didn't have to turn the transceiver on or off. Mm -hmm. uh, but as soon as he turned the transceiver on or off, then he exceeded his noise levels because of the power supply. And it turned out also because of board connectors and stuff. And, and it was just so mind stretching, I think, for Jack. And then we did mm. three more papers, I think, with Jack, 2019, 20, and 21. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing that by, by 2019, he had already had this mastered. Yeah, by 2021, you know, he was making GUIs for Heidi so that Heidi could prove the stuff that she did was right, even though we couldn't measure it inside the FPGA. And it was just another great example how when you put these smart people together, it's like, holy yeah. cow. Yeah. Um, but Jack, as brilliant as he is, you know, and, and he's focused on this 56 gigabits, um, you know, it took a while to wrap his head around how it is that a connector and his power supply could cause this problem bring the system down and and so it's it's just fascinating but it's another example of why this end-to-end -end stuff is so important and why it's so great that when we get to work together with these people right well ben and i had done um an interview where we had a conversation together about power electronics and power integrity and i thought it was really interesting so i'm gonna along along those lines mm -hmm. right ben had said to me well the Power electronics, it doesn't stop. And then we go over here and take a look at the power integrity. Like one, they're connected. They're yeah. not, it's not throw the, the thing over the wall anymore. But in regards to both Christian and Jack, right? And you guys have all taught me, but I want to, I want our listeners to hear all three of you. And I'm going to start with Ben, explain why engineers just can't simply use the semiconductor manufacturers data sheets and just plug in the numbers. Why? Why can't they just do that, Ben? Works, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, who, who do I quote here? Um, there's lots of people you can quote. Steve's a good example. Heidi, even Lee Ritchie has said, I mean, you know, a lot of times these data sheets are made by, unfortunately, marketing folks. And they don't always 
represent everything the part is capable of or can or can't do. And so there are errors in those data sheets. I can tell you from experience, I've gotten models that are wrong from um, all the big IP semiconductor and silicon vendors and had to work with them to go back and forth to fix them. These simulators, like Heidi said, are going to do what you told them to do, right? They're going right. to give you the right answer based on the models you put in there. And mm -hmm. how you That's true. Simulator is always right. Exactly, right? <laughs> it's just the question that was wrong. Yep. Yeah, we, we were talking about that where, you, you know, you put something, you, you, you push the button on your simulator and you can push it a hundred times and you get the same answer. And then you right. go over to the measurement bench and you, you know, you take your measurement and you hit save. And then, you know, a couple minutes later, you take the same measurement, you hit save and it's different. And so then you're, you know, you're, you're hitting the button over and over and over to try to yeah. see, okay, <laughs> did I get, the, you know, am I getting, you know, the, the, the right answer? Yeah. Yeah. And it yeah. reminds me of a, a saying that I heard at DesignCon uh, at one, one of the panels. Um, and it was basically that uh, nobody believes the simulation except for the person who did the simulation. And everybody <laughs> exactly. believes the measurement except for the person who made the measurement. <laughs> and so I, I working with Steve, um, I think that's one of the best things about his, his state space model. Um, is it's a measure-based model. It forces you to really go and measure things, and you really need the, the combination of simulation and measurement mm -hmm. to make you honest and to really make sure that right. both are, are giving you valid answers in, in going um, right. and, and that you have a robust model, that you have a robust measurement process. And um, I, you know, I have to say, you know, to your question, you, you know, when you buy a... Uh, electronic part of VRM or and and you're looking at a data sheet um, you know there's a lot of risk if you don't you know go test or measure what you bought so um, there's a lot of benefit a lot of learning from just going and, and making sure that what you're you're paying for is what you're getting and that's uh, what this uh, Sandler state space average model forces you to do you learn a lot about measurement and you learn a lot more about how that device really works well, Not and there's people like Ben right in the middle of that, right? <laughs> to me, there's yeah, working engineers yeah, just scratching their head, you know? So what I love yes. about the three of you and even having Christian in this conversation, like you've said, it's the ecosystem of knowledge putting together, but at least with the state space average model, at least you kind of have a single source of truth, like, right? And then, but Ben, I, he, Ben, you've taught me about correlation. Right and how important that is. So, oh, yeah. what are you going to correlate no, against? Steve and Heidi, honestly, I mean, they're the ones that taught me. So, so you know, I mean, of this model, I mean, we. What are you? What's the question? What are we going to correlate against with this model? Yeah, that was the question. Like, well, how how can you get accurate correlation if you don't know the model's good and it's in the right? You know, what are you measuring? And so that. That's where we talk about that whole thing in the paper, right? I mean, PicoTest makes the injectors. You can make the measurements, bring it into ADS and use ADS, right? And folks like Heidi have set it up where it's easier today than it's ever been. You just have to follow the steps to bring this model in and tune it to what it's really doing in real mm. life. Mm-hmm. And Heidi, well, I inter interrupted you, Steve. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to agree with Ben and tell you that my experience is that, you know, most of the time when we don't have good correlation or if we have bad models, it's usually that the vendor's data was poor. 
And there's two reasons for that. One is that they don't really have the expertise to make the measurements. And so they're, they're often very poor fidelity. And often when they get to the higher frequencies, they just kind of write off things that they see, um, but they don't really want to see. You know, there's this psychological part of it too. And so very often in satellite systems, when we find problems in the system, it's in the data sheet. The data was there. Just nobody understood what it meant, and everybody mm. ignored it. Mm. Um, you know, I'm on a panel with Isvan Novak, and, and we'll talk about that in that panel. Um, but his question was, what do we really need from their simulators? And and I said, confidence, right? We need, we, we need confidence in it. That's what we need. Yeah. And so I think, you know, when, you, when you've made enough measurements and you've done enough correlations, you get pretty good at it. And I think one of the most important things is to recognize what bad data looks like. And if you go back to your roots, you know, we learned about control theory, what do poles look like in a graph and what do zeros look like in a graph? When you look at these graphs, they don't do that. Um, there's got to be bad data here because poles and zeros don't do that. Mm. Uh, and, and I think unless you get that, unless, unless you get that foundation set, you're going to have trouble with it. And so I think a lot of this stuff that's done at the, semiconductor companies is a little bit on the mindless side and it's people like Heidi yeah. said, you know, they're sitting there pushing a button and whatever came out, they just put it, they put it on paper. They didn't question whether or not what they got was good, bad or indifferent. They right. just put it on the paper. Which I've heard, um, Heidi, you and, 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 uh, Steve talk with Eric Bogatin, you know, mm-hmm. about this and it's like, is it this or this? And you all go, it depends, exactly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Exactly. And so, exactly. yeah, mm-hmm. it's so I, I I love that, and and I think you're doing a lot to teach engineers like Ben, well, and think- maybe so many that are less experienced. What about the you know the up and comers? And Heidi, why why do you think engineers are hesitant about the control loop? I think it's just you know we we have a lot of things on our plate. It it does mm-hmm. take. Uh, there is a little bit more complexity, but uh, again, it's, you know, if you really are a power integrity engineer, it's part of your job to understand how that ecosystem mm-hmm. works. And so, mm-hmm. um, again, it's, it's I think, I, you know, I, I, I actually, if I look back at, at even SI and now it's more PI recently, the first time I start looking at something, and, and the two-part shunt impedance measurement is a, a great example. The first time I looked at that measurement, I had a really hard time understanding how you can connect, connect port one to port two and put a shunt in the middle and, and, and turn it into impedance. And mm. But the more you do it, the more you look at it, the simulate it, and you measure it, and the more often you do it, and like what Steve was saying, the more you look at actually what the data is supposed to look like, you get a lot more confident. And then pretty soon it's like, why can't that person understand this? Why I told him, yeah. it's, you know, it's this really simple measurement. Right. Why, yeah, why right. is it so hard for them? And you forget how hard it was for you the yeah. first time you looked at yeah. it. Yeah. And, yeah, and, right. and along those lines, we actually have a chip head uh, theater one. Uh, Steve and Ben and I are teaming up and it's hands-on power delivery network impedance and calibration basics. And so we're doing this PI hands-on uh, two-port shunt measurement technique, and we're hoping to uh, figure out how to give it, you know, this, uh, explain it in a simple way and make it easy for for um, attendees at, at the conference to go and repeat it in their lab and become experts at, at measuring impedance. 
Um, yeah. And then I, I think we're followed by Eric Bogatin, and he's going to do an essay hands-on. Yeah, right. uh, yeah I, think, I think it's an important focus is to try to get this to be, you know, simple enough that, that people can grasp it and simple enough that it doesn't become yet one more major task for them to right. try to fit into their busy day, right? right? It's just what matters. One more thing I'll say about this model. When you make these, this measurement-based model, you actually learn a lot from doing it because you're constantly adjusting these parameters to figure out how it is that you get the model to match the data. Mm. And in the process of doing that, you build this intuition that says, oh, so now I know what that parameter does and I know what it looks like in a measurement. And then all of a sudden you realize that you can go look at this measurement and say, wow, the ramp is too big. And it's like, wow, where'd that come from? I mean, yeah, I know I, know I just said that, but how did I know that? Right. And you knew that because you get this experience of you're moving this V-ramp slider up and down and you're watching what happens. And so I think that it builds this intuition that makes mm. you a better engineer. Well, and I think, you know, engineers do their best work by touching things. At least that's my, <laughs> my you yeah. know, pushing buttons, even if they're wrong ones. But then that's how that sort of yeah. gut level visceral intuition yeah. comes into play by just doing that enough, right? It's yeah. just another skill. Um, and for our audience, I want to tell you that um, all three of these people, why I wanted to have them on podcast today, because they're all presenting at the, Steve's got four, Heidi, I don't know how many of Ben, you have at least two or three. So mm -hmm. I am going to yeah, yeah. put you are. Okay. So I'm going to put the link to the design con schedule. You can look it up by speaker name and you can find everything. And on Steve, I'll link to, I think you said that Pico test has a design con page, right? Where yes. your yes. things and, and, uh, Heidi, does Keysight have one of those too? Um, I'll have to check, but we do have a Keysight education forum where I will be doing a power integrity uh, presentation. Um, what is it? Advanced power integrity simulation and measurement methods. Okay. And uh, DesignCon usually publishes that along with their regular agenda. So that should okay. be up there on the DesignCon website. All right. So because... There's only so much we can do in 30, 40 minutes. I wanted to let our users know they can go Thank you. Uh, get dig into all that because, um, well, this sounds like a fascinating paper. And what I really like about it is you're all separately sort of getting to this place. Like it's not as hard as it looks. It's not an intimidating and that you've worked together to sort of crack this problem to make it more accessible. Yeah. by you and so i think that's a really exciting message so yep. um best of luck to you guys i'm sure this is going to be a great great session and um will the paper be available publicly or is that only for design con attendees so that's, that's a really good question so first let me tell you that they did tell us they're recording it so oh, okay. So it's going to become part of the DesignCon virtual. Okay. I do believe that this will be respun into a paper. We're not allowed to share the DesignCon paper for, I think it's six months that we're not allowed yeah, to they, share. Yeah, there's usually a delay, but and then we yeah. can share it after that. And we can, but I think we're actually going to be doing this at another conference and spun in a little different way. And and I've also presented, you know, similar papers and prior conferences. So so there's plenty of information here that's available if people want it. 
And and we did add it to our um, tutorial for APEC because it makes a nice complement of of Power Integrity okay. Basics tutorial and and uh, you know doing the whole ecosystem simulation. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, so the rule is go to DesignCon. Don't miss it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's the bottom yeah, line. Here. Put together some links to uh, the other relevant papers okay. that all right that your listeners might be interested in. Okay. Well, I'll make sure. And I know Heidi sent me something. Was that the 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 link that you sent me, Heidi? Was on the one that you mentioned, or was that um, well, on that, something a- else? APEC is March nineteenth in Orlando, Florida. So that's a different okay. conference for the tutorial. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, like Ben mentioned, he's we we gave him the the pre- premium tutorial slot, and he's doing uh, memory uh, design, yes, uh, simulation and and yeah. uh, measurement stuff. So I think uh, our, we took we're going to take PI to APEC and hopefully educate the power electronics world this this time or this year in 2023. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to everything you guys are doing together, and I really applaud you for this amazing collaboration. That I think is, you know, not only fun for you, because I know you're all a little, you know, engineering in the brain. I know it's fun for you, but also I think it'll be so valuable to other engineers. So thank you, all three of you, for all you do. And thank you for coming on and sharing it with other engineers. I really appreciate each one of you, and I appreciate the three of you together. Thanks so much for coming today. Thanks, Judy. Yeah, thank you, Judy. For our audience, make sure you go in and dig into the show notes. I promise before I publish this, I will get lots of good stuff put um, in the show notes for you so you can link through and access as much as possible if you're not able to attend. If you are able to attend DesignCon, they've been very, very gracious to offer 20% off all of ecosystem listeners by just using the promo code JUDY, all caps. So if you haven't already bought your ticket, go over there, use my promo code, and I hope to see you at the show. Until next time, always remember to stay connected to the ecosystem. Oh, 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 oh,